Good morning and welcome to another exciting edition of Day 4 with the man Frank Scalish. We are live. <laughs> Actually, we're recorded today, I know. Frank. I know, but you I know wanted to say that. we're recorded? Yeah, because you're you're going to be loaded to the cork. Hopefully I am right now loaded to the cork. It is December 14th, 2023. And this is day four, but I am currently at Lake El Salto. You ever done the Mexico thing, Frank? Yes, I have. And I will tell you, it is an absolute freak show. Where'd you go? Agua Milpa. That's a lake in Mexico. I've never heard of that. Yeah, that is a that is a quiet little gem. I was, um, I, I was, unbelievably impressed with this place. And when I was there, you would catch dozens upon dozens upon dozens of four to six pounders. Holy cow! See, this oh. is why I don't do the side. Keep going. <laughs> dozens and dozens of four pounders that was a long time ago now they're finally catching eights nines tens um agua milpa is probably the best kept secret really yeah it's it's big it's, baits are like typical stuff pretty much anything you want I, i'll i'll you know what we're we're talking about oddball stuff yeah today we're going to talk about oddball techniques that might load the boat Okay, so so here's here's the story. I, I have like a story. Stories. Yes, I this like is a story. It's a full screen story. Have that. So when I was when I went to Agua Milpa, OSI, my title sponsor for when I fish Bassmasters, they had a trip that they gave away to a couple of winners of a contest that they put out and and that was the trip it was it was to lake agua milpa and i had never been there before i got a really super tight friend of mine his name is bruce um he's been there a million times so bruce and i got together and pretty much put this trip together osi took care of it and we took the winners of their contest uh, to this lake. And I had never been there before. So I packed four rods in a tube, um, grabbed a bunch of fat free sevens, bunch of 10 inch worms. Um, literally I brought only brought big giant baits because my only goal was to catch as many big bass as I can conceivably catch. And that was it. So the rule of the the rule of the day was I had to take out the guests of OSI a half a day for each individual and fish with them. And then and then I stayed after an extra day or two with my buddy Bruce so we could just go whale on them. And so so what happened was um some of the some of the guys that were on this trip were were not dyed in the wool bass fishermen. they weren't seasoned right so so a lot of uh, like cranking like i was catching most of my big fish deep cranking with fat free shads dd22s um that's where all the big bass were coming from um but we caught and when i say big bass i mean you know five plus 
Um, but you could catch a hundred three to four pounders just fishing, you know, pitching soft plastics around. So anyhow, so I had got these guys out there and I, I, you can't bring a million lures with you. You just can't, you just can't. So I, I put, you know, as many crankbaits as I could fit in a suitcase with as many 10 inch worms as I could fit in a suitcase. And, and that was my lure suitcase basically. And so I was running out of 10 inch worms and, and we were catching so many fish, the, the guys that I had taken out and, and, um, I had all these 10 inch worms with no tails laying in the bottom of the boat. So I'm like, Oh, we're just going to wacky rig the straight part the of the body, body part of it. So I just cut the broken tails off of them all and wacky rigged them for them. And they literally, we, pl we plowed them nonstop. I mean, it was ridiculous. <laughs> it was ridiculous. Um, but the big ones, the real big ones were coming all cranking, deep cranking. Um, and so when, when all the OSI guys left, it was my buddy Bruce and his buddy, Mike and me that stayed after to, to, to really do the deal. And so, um, what happened was, yeah. And this lake dude is massive. It's down there. Yeah. It's massive, massive lake. If I, I wish I, I wish I could bring my bass boat to it because the stuff that you could, you couldn't, we couldn't cover it. We fished literally a, a tenth of this body of water. And that's all we needed to do because there's so it was so good fishing. So, so I I don't know if I ever talked about the contest. No, on this show. So, my buddy Bruce is a competitive hombre, and um, we always make games out of pretty much every time we're in the boat together. It turns into a game. So, the game of choice was you pick one lure. That's the only lure you can use. Okay. The only color of that lure you can use. Now, if you broke off, you were allowed to put a new one on, but it had to be the exact same bait, period. So you have to remember that we had been fishing this lake for three days prior to this. So... Got a pretty good idea what we need to do to catch the big ones. Okay. So I said this. Nobody can throw the same bait. So so if you pick a bait, it's out of the it's out of the mix. You can't nobody else can throw it. So we we drew straws to see who gets to pick first. And I was last. So Bruce picked the eight-inch lizard which I don't blame solid him. pick, solid pick. His buddy took a half ounce spinner bait, which solid pick. it's a solid pick, but I'm not a hundred percent sure why. Cause barely caught fish on a spinner bait. Okay. And then I took a fat free seven in citrus because, <laughs> because I knew that when I got one, it's probably going to be over four pounds. So here's the game. You stand up in the boat, 
guy on the front, guy in the middle, guy in the back. Anybody who catches one, anybody in the boat that catches one, you rotate positions, just like volleyball. Mm -hmm. You rotate positions. But here's the catch. You have to drink a beer. If, <laughs> if, if somebody caught a four-pounder or better, the other two guys had to drink a beer before they could start fishing again. You follow me? Yeah. So okay. you, you got to keep fishing, but they had to drink a beer before they were back. So if you got on a roll oh, yeah. and went fish, 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 they're three beers deep before they can even try to start catching up. 100%. Oh, this 100%. Sounds, this sounds dangerous. You could do it, this with Coca-Cola, 7-Up, water, milk. It, was, it, doesn't, it was, doesn't have it, to be beer. It doesn't have to be. But it was, it was dangerous beyond belief because... The fish had to be over four pounds. Ah. Okay. So Gatto, our guide, comes down. And I said, Gatto Cervezas. He comes down carrying a 12-pack. I go, no, no, no. Malta. Multi Cervezas. Multi. Mucho. So he, go, so he, go, he goes back up. He comes down and he's like this, and they're st stacked over his head. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm like, "Is this going to be the last day forever, Frank?" No, because okay. no, because we didn't drive anywhere. Nobody was okay. operating the boat. Okay, we're good. All we had to do is walk from the boat dock to the. So you've got a plenty lock. of ammunition for the day. Plenty. So it's an eight inch lizard, half ounce spinnerbait fat free seven i threw is this the is this the plug right there that's the exact number one duplicate <laughs> okay so that's what you've got on that's your that's your is that called a bell cow that's the horse you're putting all oh, the money on 100 percent, dude I, like like every like 100 percent. and did you know like you felt pretty confident getting into the boat that boarded that you would be they would that you would have two drunk compadres with you fairly soon I, I i knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that if i wanted a beer i would have to voluntarily drink one and, <laughs> <laughs> and so and it was such a thing of beauty because i think bruce hooked up the first one uh he hooked up the first one and i and i don't remember if that was a a, a drinkable beer or not mm -hmm. but i remember i made a cast out not too soon after that and i go like this and the guy gato goes cervezas <laughs> <laughs> needless to say <laughs> needless to say the walk to the lodge is up a very <laughs> steep hill <laughs> and to say to say that they people were crawling to get up the hill would not be an understatement. Did you just go on a tear? Was it every cast? It was relentless. It was absolutely <laughs> relentless. Um, Bruce actually, Bruce actually got a few over four on his lizard, which was good because I got to uh, quench my parchness. And then um, poor Mike, I don't think he caught one over four. And um, and let's just say that the fat free shed put the smack down on it. 
I mean, so I need to bring a couple of those citrus fat freeze with me to old El Salto. You you absolutely need to. Not, I, o- not only I those, like a shirt. I see a shirt just cervezas with an exclamation point and a fat free shad in there. Yep. Um, yeah, you need to bring the fat free in uh, citrus, and you need to bring the DD twenty two and tropical shad. Hold on, let me pull that up. DD22. I'm sure I have I have the citrus. I have the citrus, uh the Mark Davis signature edition citrus. They wanted the Bill Dance citrus with the with um, foil tape on it. And then they, and didn't, then they didn't they didn't want the Mark Davis signature, they wanted the Bill Dance signature. They wanted the Bill Dance. Apparently, they were more of a fan of Bill Dance. Tennessee fans. That's right. Uh in citrus in tropical chat. Yeah, the DD twenty two and tropical shad. Yeah, everyone has told me that uh, that chartreuse and lime colors are the deal down in Mexico. Yeah, then you may not you may want to bring chartreuse and blue to the old standby. Yep. But I'm just gonna I'm just gonna tell you, Matt. It was the funnest one of the funnest days I've ever had on the water. Um, when when I cast that crankbait out and that rod loaded up. I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that somebody was popping a beer open because, and they couldn't make another cast until they were done. Now they didn't mm-hmm. have to chug them. There was yeah, no, but you're not fishing until it's done, and then if you, then if you start stacking them up, then you're uh, in a real pickle. Then you're in a jackpot. Then you then you're behind the eight ball. Did, didn't you say one time when we did a color show something about what chartreuse does at a certain depth underwater? Bright Is that you white. saying it turns yeah. white? bright white to the fish it's a vibrant bright white yeah i don't think a lot of people realize that yeah it's really cool it's super cool (laughs) yeah so was that what a four or five day trip and then it took them a whole day to recover so that both of them lose it lose a morning calling dinosaurs oh dude i i don't know i don't know but we we uh yeah, it was it was interesting because we we stopped at Tequila City on the way in and bought some tequila too. Um, they had a place called Tequila City. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Them blue gavi plants are as far as you could see. You're on a mountaintop, and that's all you see is those blue plants as far as you could. Did you fly into Mazatlan? No, I flew into Mexico City. Okay, I think we're flying into Mazatlan. And then, yeah, but but the lakes are not. You got to look at where the lakes are. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We're flying into Mazatlan and then uh, riding go karts to, you know, they've got a van that comes picks us up. Right. Right. (laughs) We got, we got picked up by a van too. Um, It was, it was a lot of fun. The the terrain on Agua Milpa is beautiful because um, part of the lake is a, is a Canyon reservoir. Mm -hmm. So you've got these big mountain walls and, you know, sheer walls. And then the other part of it's like a desert um, where it's not as steep. It's, it's still steep, but it's not canyony. You know what I mean? It was really a, it's a beautiful place. It's absolutely a beautiful place. Last week on day four, uh, the FX series of rattling Smithwick roads dropped. Oh, and you, yeah. Yeah, it was a cool show. Go back and uh, and watch that one. It's a big show. Uh, it kind of brings everything together for the last two years that you've t- preached about pearls. And this is right. kind of the culmination of your expertise with pearls and painting to come out with the six colors of the 
uh, Rattling Rogue, which you kind of teased maybe or maybe not be coming in other lines down the road. There's yeah. a chance. Yeah, it will be um, in some crankbaits uh, for sure. So, um, yeah. I'm, I'm also, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just saying, you also mentioned, and we talked a little bit about the Yeah, that's not. You that, kind of let that, a cat out of the bag there. No, we can't. No, because that may not happen. Okay, but so here's, here's uh, I'll, I'll level out what happened last week with this week, which depending, it's, it's a little bit of a business trip headed down to Mexico. They're, should things go uh, as expected, hopefully uh, next December, there may or may not be the possibility for a BTL trip. That's Ooh. something you'd be interested. Yeah, I better get my passport updated. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I got my passport updated. Uh, but like I said, that's that's not the ink is not dry on that yet. But that is the that is the hope. That would be s- wicked six. Could you imagine fifteen twenty? BTL listeners down yeah, there, five be. days, cervezas, workshops at night, chatting, oh. drinking cold ones, catching plowing eight giants. to 10 pounders, plowing them all day Ooh, that's, at, a that's, dis- at a discounted BTL rate. That's hard to say no to, man. That'd be the dream, wouldn't it? It'd be awesome. So we're working on, we're working on some stuff, Frank. Perfect. I love it. So, yeah, but there will be some FX colors coming out in crankbaits, which I'm excited about. Um, very excited about um, this whole this whole FX program is um, took a lot of research. I've been I've been working on them for a long, long time. So I'm real happy about that. Oh, the other thing is last week's show. um we talked about the pillows and the rogues, obviously. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and you threw the BTL code up there, which that code ends the end of December. But if you want to get anything prior to Christmas, um, today, December 14th, the orders have to be in before noon or or there's a strong possibility you will not receive them in time for Christmas. That's if you're ordering off of LureNet.com. Correct. And the uh, code correct. there is capital BTL 23. That goes through the end of the year. Uh, check out the paint shop, the pillows, the FX series, all sorts of cool stuff going on at Lure Net for the holiday season. They also have a bargain box that changes kind of on the daily basis to the correct. Correct. So oddball stuff, dude. What's yeah. The, what's the most oddball thing you've done? Uh, well, we were talking last week. We kind of got on this show because last week I, w- I was crappie fishing. And Zeke, who I was with, caught a 532 or 538 dip in a crappie jig. And he said it's the biggest bass he'd caught in about 20 years. And then I told him, well, this particular lake we were at, I busted a uh, a 20-pound bag out of there, crappie fishing, all largemouth. And by yeah. the second or third one, you're like, okay, that's a largemouth. But they're all four-pounders, so you're not going to pass one up. No. And then when me and you went out, to that yeah. lake yeah actually what happened was you said you want to see what a four pounder looks like uh-huh and so we ran it down and you caught it and it was what was it four seven or four eight yeah it was a four and a half pound largemouth yeah so <laughs> then me and you were talking and we're like well that that's a pattern that's a viable pattern i mean we have here we have 
a dozen bass over four pounds oh, getting yeah. caught on a 14 foot crappie rod and an eighth ounce crappie jig if we'd gone out bass fishing any of those days with a rogue with an alabama rig with a plug we'd have been like heck yeah that's a successful day but we're writing it off as just a oddball bass on a crappie lure right we're should we be or should we be exploring that avenue frank i'm all 100 percent in to exploring that avenue and because I'll that happened to you last week on absolutely. the water as well absolutely and so here so here so here's my can i go into my thought process uh, yes that is what the show is based on it is based on your thought process there's going to be a lot of viewers that are probably too young to know about the float and fly technique which was developed in kentucky tennessee area that chain of lakes down there um where you have a nine foot rod spinning rod and you set your basically it's a for lack of better words it's like a crappie jig it's just a it's just a uh, pseudo marabou jig 10 feet underneath a bobber and you hurl the thing out there this was way before forward facing sonar way before side imaging way before all that you go to bluffs short steep points transition areas in the winter time you lob this thing out there and you watch your float and you pull it a little bit your float moves you stop it your bait pendulums under the float the float stands upright when it's back to vertical so when you pull your float your floats on an angle the crappie jigs or the float and flies down here as the float and fly pendulums down your bobber goes back up and the float and flies underneath the bobber yes there it is that's the rig okay so i think that we could scope them with the 14 foot rods exactly like we do the float and fly so i'm working it out now where next next winter i can get down south and i'm gonna i'm gonna do this i'm gonna experiment with this and do nothing but scope with the 14 foot rod and the way we crappie fish for these small mouth and spotted bass do you think you can get close enough to them i do without spooking them absolutely do winter technique winter technique absolutely. now i i'm taking it a step further and i'm looking at these rods we're using and they're meat sticks mm-hmm why not make them even meatier, put 40 and 50 pound test braid on, then create a, a bucktail crappie imitation jig with a plastic on the back and vertically drop into all these piles all summer that you can't get through with a typical tactic that these giant bass are eating four and five inch crappie out of. And now you're you're dipping the piles using your forward facing sonar to put it directly in their face in the piles. and then dragging them out why wouldn't it work i mean here that's think what about i'm it. saying it, all you're doing all you're doing is punching only with 15 or 20 feet of water above you mm-hmm. i think it would work actually i think you could go farther than that and i think you could texas rig a heavy slip sinker on a texas rig and do it I think that would be, I think that's cool. I'm excited to try it out Um, just because it's, that's what I do, man. (laughs) So this is, this is kind of coming full, full circle here because 
a little bit of bass history here, Frank, and you're well aware of this. There used to be a, I believe it was an eight foot rod limit. Right. Uh, there for was. bass fishing. Now that was a result of an overly effective technique that was developed, I think out on the West coast where the guys would get 12 and 14 foot poles and would dip them in between all the rock. They tie a buzz bait to it, do like figure eights and whoosh, fish would come out and it was too effective. Mm -hmm. So they banned the rod length. And then you had D Thomas with flipping and things like that, that kind of came after that. Correct. But then as offshore techniques and as rod companies wanted to develop more and more, I remember, I want to say it was around 2010 and 2012 that that bass went, I think, to a 10 foot rod length or maybe even eliminated it. But nine, I know it FL was nine. It was nine foot nine. And then M MLF, which was FLW at the time, eliminated the rod. Like you can have a rod of any length that you can use or could use at FLW. And I believe still at MLF, because I vividly remember watching a co-angler throw a fly rod at Beaver Lake, which would that have would you have come unglued if you're fishing in? FLW tour event and there's a guy behind you going whoosh, 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 no actually it would tickle me to death because <laughs> because I would know that he will he will catch a few but he won't catch all of mine yeah uh, and, and so I would be really happy <laughs> so so rod length wise if you're a non-tournament guy hell go out there with a 30-foot European cart pole match like fishing have. rod yeah the match, match fishing rod. rod but bass fishing i don't think the surface has even been scratched on this and we're seeing glimpses of it in the crappie world yeah it, it the bass fishing haven't it's not it, we're gonna make it happen i'm I, we're gonna make it happen because i see a completely viable uh, way to do this and i and i agree with you um dunking in deep brush it's going to be wrong and it's and you can provide a bait completely vertically in that fish's face and move it around like you can't with the cast and retrieve right because now now basically think you're just you're just flipping you're flipping and you can go bring it down into each nook and cranny of that tree or of that timber. I mean, do you remember in the heyday of Amistad when guys would flip them big magnum tubes? I was just getting into it when that happened. They would flip the big magnum tubes into the trees and they would feather the line out and let that tube fall through the trees. Think about how many friction locks they get on a hook set as that tube goes around branch to branch to get down there. They might be around three branches. Then when the bass bites it and they set the hook, that line is around all those branches. So they get friction lock and they may not get a good hook into fish. More often than not, you lose the bass or you break off. So now if you have with your forward facing sonar, you can see the branches. You could literally dunk down into the, in between the branches just like we did when we would crappie fish uh, mm -hmm. the standing timber. Um, and you could do that bass fishing, but the rods, the rods have to be made. Yeah. And I don't know why you couldn't do that on Toledo Bender, Sam Raybert, even if you don't have forward facing sonar, get off, off the channel ledge there. And instead of flipping it and then having the thing pendulum back, you can literally just, just go down and dunk mm -hmm. and then but, hold it and raise it up, have a vertical. I mean, you make that thing look 
so much more lifelike than something where you're casting and you're having to move it horizontally while at the same time vertically moving it. Right. I agree. I agree a hundred percent with that. The rods would have to be radically different than the cross yes. rods. Yes. Because it's, different. it's a, it's a rodeo when you hook anything over four on a 14 yeah. to 16 foot rod. It is. It really is because you have no control. You, you have a limited amount of control. I shouldn't say no control. You have a limited amount. The, the rods would have to be telescoping. And because have, you have to keep it on the on the reel. Right. You have to well, keep you it, have on the, it where you could go like that, then shoot it down and go from 16 to nine. Yeah, but the guides would get in the way. You can only bring it back to the stripper guide. You follow I me? Up a stripper guide last time I was in Las Vegas. <laughs> uh, unless you unless you put the line. No, through, I see what you're saying. Unless you put the line through the entire blank and had no Which guides. has been done before, but then that's a nightmare if you lose it because you have to tie it to a pin and shoot the. Right. Uh, yeah, there. but there's some. So, so this also leads to the bait selection because we're, you know, Zeke caught this fish on an eighth ounce jig. You're catching these fish on little bitty things. So then also it opens the door to, Hey, are micro lures effective for giant bass? If you get it into the right strike zone, well, that we're well, not paying that we're not understanding here, especially well, in the cold water months. Okay. So let's talk about micro. Let's talk about the Norman Deep Tiny N, which is a little tiny bait this big that Rick Clun actually put on the map for bass fishing. Uh, let's talk about an inline spinner like a rooster tail, um, little tiny, you know, spinner. Um, there's a lot of little tiny baits. Look at the Ned Rig, the, the, the Ned Rig with the turd, not the way I fish it with yep. a five inch dinger. Um, you know, the C-77 big O. Um, so so now all of a sudden you're, oh. we do have micro baits for bass, but it's always the cast and retrieve kind. It's not the, you know what I'm saying? Um, back in the old days, dude, we had a bait called a Superdew, which was a, a solid bodied soft plastic bait with about 12 tentacles on it, like an octopus. And we would rig it on a 16th ounce slip sinker and flip that bait. And it was oh, tiny. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was tiny. So, so there definitely is a time and a place for micro baits for bass without, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, you know, you look at the finesse spinner baits of today. They're designed to mimic smaller profile shad so you have you, you they're going in the right direction but it's still a cast and a retrieve it's not the plunk and dunk you know what i mean mm -hmm. so the i think there's dunk. i like that i think there's a viable um we haven't discovered it yet but we're going yeah. to and I don't think you need forward-facing sonar if you know where they're standing timber. If you know where your favorite no. brush pile is, you can just daub around. Yeah, because 2D sonar, I mean, that's how I, I, mean, that's how I grew up fishing, 2D sonar. And I would idle around till I found a brush pile. And then I'd get my CC spoon or my Hopkins spoon out. I'd get right on top of the deep brush pile. And I would jig <laughs> the spoon up. 
and and then call them up from the tree to get the spoon. And I was right on top of that brush pile with my 2D sonar. And I saw the fish on 2D come up and get the spoon. Because yeah. you see, it's not a straight line. It's a diagonal line because your screen's moving. So the line is diagonal. But you, you watched it. You watched it all happen. Now answer me this. And I've thought about this out on Thousand Islands, specifically Ontario. Why can't you do this on smallmouth out there? Can you not get close enough to them or is there just not as much benefit to it? Or, I mean, you get those Great Lakes smallmouth that are in the rock piles. Why can't you drop a something down 15 feet out in front of them and hop it right in front of their face over and over again until they bite or, or, or do it when they're on the beds? Well, you absolutely can. I mean, you 100% can. I mean, in the beginning stages of drop shotting, 99.9% of the time I drop shot it, I was straight underneath my trolling motor and I can see the fish that I was fishing for. And they were, they would be anywhere between 14 and 30 some feet, depending on how deep they were, but I can get right on top of them. They didn't spook away. They stayed there. Um, I had the one tournament that I came back from 86 place to finish fourth in, um, I drop shot at every one of those bass off of my locator, straight down off the boat. I'd find the boulder. I'd see the bass. I'd drop down on them. I'd stop it just like we do crappie fishing, stop it right above them, shake it a couple times. They'd swim up for it, and boom, and I'd get them. <laughs> so it's absolutely viable. I, I'm interested because we're just – we're literally, I think – uh, just kind of spitballing here on different things, but yeah, drop shot with a true vertical presentation. Uh, you don't realize when you cast that thing, how much you're, you know, dragging it at an angle. Oh, hundred percent. That's why sometimes I used to make my leaders, the windier it was, the longer I made my leader. Oh, that's smart. Because you couldn't get vertical on them. So I'd have to cast out. So I said, well, if they're three feet off the bottom, four feet off the bottom, I need a six foot leader to my weight so holy cow a six foot so yes you, you drag with a six foot leader yeah because at the angle i'm at then the bait would be three feet off the bottom doing its thing so i my leader length would be enormous to 20 inches depending on how much wind i had and how vertical i could if you get vertical on them it's not necessary to have a giant right leader because you're doing it all by sight. But if you can't be vertical on them and you can't see them, you got, you've got to have that bait off the bottom to wherever they're suspending at. So I think, I think that there's techniques that are untapped, untouched, and uninvented yet. <clears throat> the one that you've touched on over the past couple years a couple times you've talked about it i believe but haven't really gone in depth is slow reeling a carolina rig oh yeah dude yeah are you willing to talk about that because that's one that we haven't really talked about but i to me is an oddball technique it's an oddball technique um i got on it real hardcore smallmouth fishing um and i was actually on champlain what was happening is I would be dragging the Carolina rig. So the Carolina rig, typically you drag it, you stop it, you pick up your mm -hmm. slack, you drag it, you stop it, you pick up your slack. As I was dragging it, I would feel dunk, dunk, 
and you'd go, oh, those are perch. Those are perch. Well, I kept moving the thing and I kept getting those dunk, dunk, dunks. And so I sped it up a little bit and my rod would load up and it was a four pound smallmouth. And so I was like, holy crap, um, this is, this is viable. So I started experimenting with it. When I got home, there's a couple inland lakes that are, are notorious for smallmouth. If you don't keep it moving, you don't catch them. You get the little bump, 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 bump. And then the minute you pause it, they, they lose interest in the bait. Hmm. And so I would keep it moving. So then I would cast it out, let it hit the bottom, and I would just slowly reel it in, having it do, do, almost like a wobblehead, but not probably as aggressive, a little less aggressive than the wobblehead. And it works. And I, I absolutely massacre them doing that. That's something that I would have to, I would almost be willing to try that. Because yeah, it is yeah. a mixture between the sea rig, obviously, a weightless a weightless offering, a wobble head, and a crankbait. Right. And here's the cool thing. Um, you have to see it in action mm-hmm. to believe it. Now, are you going a shorter leader on this or a longer leader when you when you plan on moving the bait across uh, the bottom I'm, without the, the typical drag pause? Drag pause. Yeah. G- generally, I'm 18 to 22 inches on my leader. So you're not that far. You're not doing the six foot no. leader. You want the you want the 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 weight to be creating a disturbance or sound on the bottom, and that bait to be close enough to when that fish comes to investigate. Boom! It sees that that bait trailing. Right, or or appealing to the predatory nature of game fish. Mm-hmm. The sinkers kicking up dust, making noise, and you got this bait right behind it, following the dust cloud. You follow me? So it's yep. like. They think something's tracking whatever's on the bottom. Ah, uh, well, I front mean, runner, front runner, but on the bottom. Right. I mean, here, think about how many. Well, I don't know if you Carolina rigged enough, but nope. How many sinker bites you get on the Carolina rig? I've heard about it. I get I get tons of them. Boom, and that's the clue. I got to speed it up. I got to speed up the thing. Because if they're hitting the sinker, they're paying more attention to the disturbance than the bait. So now I got to keep it moving. So when they go to investigate the noise, the dust cloud, they get close enough, see that bait back there doing its thing, mm-hmm. and they get the bait. Uh, another oddball, to me, oddball, now this might be a little bit more normal, is uh, bottom fishing a blade bait. And I know that there are guys who do this, but it goes against, you think of, uh, and you could even do this with an XR50 or 75, but a bottom yeah blade bait where you and i've drag seen it. a couple got you drag it like a jig that is an oddball technique frank that is absolutely money. you haven't talked about this one on the show i don't know i never brought this one up sorry um that is <laughs> are you gonna be upset at me afterwards <laughs> no i don't know i don't care um okay. that is a number one smallmouth technique with a blade bait can you go into it? Because I don't understand why a chunk of metal that you don't, that's when you reel it, it goes, brrr, it, it makes total sense. But when you, I've done this one time before, when you drag it, it feels like a football jig. Well, here's the deal. Okay. So you, you brought up the XR 50 on Kentucky Lake. One time we were fishing an ABA championship, me and a buddy of mine. And, um, 
we were literally dragging the XR50 on the bottom. You you move it just enough where you could feel it go to 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 and catching them, which is almost exactly the way I fish a blade bait on Lake Erie. I cast it out, I let it hit the bottom, and then I sweep the rod. Bump, 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 bump. Pick up my slack. Bump, 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 and they crush it. They absolutely crush it. Now there are times when you want to yo-yo the thing, depending on what you're fishing, what kind, what, how, how the terrain of the structure you're fishing is. Okay, but that drag technique is so it's disgusting. With it's, like the the gay blade, the cotton cordell gay blade, or yeah, and the head and sonar. Okay, so there's it's, the gay blade there, right? And then the the sonar. And there's the head and sonar right there. The head and sonar is probably the number one lure to do that with, right? Yeah, hundred percent. That so you got three holes on the bait. You see the three holes? Yep. Okay, so if I'm dragging it, that's where it's at on the first the front hole. position of the hole, the closest to the head of the lure. Correct. If I'm vertical, I'm in the center hole. Okay. I don't hardly ever use the back hole. The, the back one will vibrate the bait very erratically. Okay. It's very erratic. What I found out on the, the, the there's three positions. The last position, um, it has a tendency to flip the tail around into your line. Oh, and you, so annoying. You hang up the back hook on your line a lot. So I seldomly use that. I'm always into the first two. And the first position is my cast and retrieve or my drag the the center hole is for vertical presentation now i did that color i designed that color go back yeah i designed that color go to the next one i designed that color go to the blue one in the front pink i designed that color too and go to the one two three fourth one in yeah right there nope next one Next one. I was going to say that one's pretty standard. That's no, I didn't do that color. The silver. If you're going to buy two colors, buy gold and buy silver, right? 100%. Um, here's what I found. Um, a lot of my buddies throw gold blade baits on the lake. A lot of them do. Um, I found that silver spoons and silver blade baits work better for me. And the same thing with my spoons. Um, there is, go to the fire tiger. That's the next best color right there. That color okay. right there. No. And then the one, go to the one, third one from the last. That's my favorite. That is pretty sexy. That is like a scale silver with a chartreuse head. Right. That is my all, that's my favorite right there. Uh, so along those lines, piggybacking off of it, typically a bait that you would think you're going to move to get vibration. Uh, you mentioned the spoon. One of the things, the oddball techniques that I have had a lot of success with is using a, uh, the Cordell spoon, a three quarter or a half ounce slab spoon, and then cranking it as fast as I can in the top of the water column to simulate a small fleeing shad. Yeah, which is a really good summertime technique 
it, which instead of what you expect to do with that is you drop it down, you pump it, they hit it on the slack, but I'll spool, I'll spool a reel with that thing and then keep it up three foot down from the surface, cranking and pumping the rod tip and get some ferocious strikes on that specifically on schooling bass in the hottest part of the year. Yeah, that's a great technique and a, and a confession, one that I don't do a lot. I wish I did. I wish I did it more because, you know, when they come up schooling yep. and you fire a top water out at them and you get a couple that smoke it and then they don't take it um, or you throw a jerk bait out at them and you rip the jerk bait back to the boat, um, that spoon technique could be the deal breaker it is it is the deal breaker at times uh, on hartwell on the blueback herring lake oh, specifically yeah. on power plant lakes where you have a lot of smaller shad at odd times of the year because of the jacked up water temperature in there i have a box just of slab spoons that i'll throw on a 17 pound test or 16 yep. pound test and i can spool a bait caster i'll put it on a high gear ratio a seven to one on a seven six rod and you can literally your your schooling fish getting a bait in their strike zone doubles. Well, and you're, boat. yeah, and you're you're making it look exactly like what they're chasing. Little bitty shad like that, right? Exactly like what they're chasing. Like I did that on on Lay Lake, but I was throwing bucktails at them. Mm -hmm. They'd come up. You'd see two or three come up, fire the bucktail out there, and just keep hopping it. Back okay, so that's a that's that's a, te a unique technique because that's typically a striper lure or a tail race lure. Yeah, yeah. The way I, you're fishing it, or an offshore summer lure, big right. giant feather chicken looks like you've got a freaking Cornish hen on your lure. Right. Yeah. Exactly. You're you're talking about a streamlined bucktail. Yeah, a streamlined bucktail, and back then, um, what I I used a gulp minnow as a trailer on it okay so the bucktail would go over the the gulp minnow and i would have the scent from the gulp on it um and that's what i used on lay lake and then um and then of course i had smaller bucktails little quarter ounces mm -hmm. that i made um now today with all the soft plastics like the forward facing minnow the forward facing sonar minnow that would be a ridiculous trailer on that they would be ridiculous. So, you know, so there's things now, you know, the funny thing is that bucktail, um, the bucktail thing originally the preacher jig was the first mm -hmm. structure fishing tool. So I, when they first came out with the preacher jig, I tied a bunch of them and, and I went to some of the local lakes here. And when I was catching them, Carolina rigging or current deep cranking, um, I would throw, the preacher jig after I was done cranking in Carolina rigging. And I would always pick up one or two extras. And over the course of time, I kind of got away from it. When I started competing in Bassmasters, I kind of got away from that cleanup bait because I used it mostly as a cleanup. You know what I mean? I never used it as a main, my main thing because my confidence was in the big crankbaits and the Carolina rig. Um, and of course the football jig, but, but those were my confidence baits. So I said, this is, I'm not going to waste time. I, I can catch more faster traditionally, but, but you're leaving fish on the table. You know what I mean? And I never looked at it as though I was leaving fish on the table. I looked at it like, well, this is the way I'm fishing the most efficiently, but how many did I pass up? Mm-hmm.
over the course of time. And you know as well as I know in the cast for cash game, one bass makes a big difference. So, you know. A couple more things that I want to run by you that you've mentioned in past shows, but we've been doing other shows and then we haven't expounded on it. And they're oddball techniques. One of them that I know that you know is lethally effective is fishing a floating rogue like a topwater, a oh, jerk yeah. bait like a topwater. You've mentioned that a couple of times. Yeah. Uh, have not really gone into that, but that is an oddball technique, typically a cast and retrieve, a troll, a twitch, twitch, but that he rogue is lethal on fish to get explosive topwater strikes. Yeah, I do that with the floating the floating rogue and your guys okay. are, you guys are going to kill me. It's not the it's not the floating rogue with the regular rogue bill. It's the floating rogue with the smaller bill. Um and I don't know the numbers of it. Um is it still Yeah, it's still, sale? Yeah, oh yeah. So if you go to the rogue page, I'll I'll spot it in a second. Go to the floating rogues. I'll I'll tell you which one it is. And I'll tell you my favorite color too. Okay. There's the perfect 10, the pro. There's the rattling zero to four. It's gotta be the floating floating rogue. rogue. Click on that one. Let me see the bill. That looks like the right bill. Yeah, that's the bill. Okay. So my favorite color in that is the brim color. Um, that, that it's the, brim. that is the brim color. Yeah. Okay. So that, that looks a little, t you don't see all the metallic in that bait. Um, and, and the picture makes it look, uh, way more goldy than it is, but it's more brimmy looking bluegilly looking. That is my absolute 100%. I got six of those in my rogue box especially during the pre-spawn and the spawn. Um, that is deadly. And all I'll do is I'll cast it out and I'll twitch it down. It'll literally be an inch underneath the surface and you stop it and the tail comes up. And then I pull it again and the tail slaps on the water and I'm keeping it literally four or five inches from the surface to the surface. And that's how I fish that bait. Um, it, it's, and if there's grass and the grass isn't on top, you guys hold on because that's <laughs> when it's really effective. And that's one of my favorites. The other thing I do is, which is no secret, um, the jointed redfin. I'll, I'll wake a jointed redfin. I do it a lot. Um, I, I do, I do a couple tricks to the bill to make them wake better. Um, but I'll do the jointed redfin, um, I've caught so many four pound spots on table rock doing that. It's sickening. It's absolutely sickening. Um, so that's another thing that I do, but I don't think that's off the beaten path because that was made famous a long, long time ago. Yep. And that's what you're talking about right there. Mm -hmm. I did that color too, by the way. <laughs> yeah. That looks good. <laughs> uh, all right. One more. And you mentioned at the very beginning, uh, We've talked a little bit about it, but have never kind of done a little bit of a deep dive, which I've found this show to be very interesting. And I'm rolling through all these different oddball things. I just can't believe you remember what I talk about on all these shows, dude. Uh, it's a gift and a curse. You're like the, the rain. You're like the rain man. You have <laughs> in passing mentioned rooster tails and inline spinners. You mentioned at the beginning yeah. of this show. Definitely an oddball technique for hardcore tournament anglers. Probably one of the most often used 
fun fishing lures though. Like, I mean, I have a box of the things and if I'm around trout, fun fishing, stopping any of that stuff, I got no problem throwing it. Have never made a cast in a tournament with it. I know it's an Iconelli's panic box. I know it's something that you use a lot. Yeah. So, so the, the rooster tail and the maps are probably the most underrated real bass fishing lures on the market today. Um, every pond hopper knows them like the back of their hand because when I pond hopped, I had rooster tail. I had a box of rooster tails. Literally, it was a little six six chambered container that would fit in my back pocket. I'd put three of them things in each in each slot, um, and it. It's, it's, dude, I was on freaking, uh, um, Norman, no, uh, uh, TVA, uh, Pickwick, Pickwick. I, I was on Pickwick and I was catching them really good, cranking a bandit 200 and of course, root beer, of course, um, a root beer bandit 200. And I was fishing these shallow gravel shoals and I had some in the Creek mouths and some on the main lake. So obviously it, it wasn't summertime. It was more of the, in the spring era be, before it was like almost like post-spawn. The fish were not out, out on summer stuff yet, but they weren't spawning. And so I had gone to this one main lake uh, flat that I was fishing and I forget I forget it. I forget the other pro that I was fishing with because back then a pro and a pro could team, you know, could pair out together. I forget, and he, God, he's going to kill me too because we used to he be still fish. Um, I don't know if he fishes anymore, but we used to be pretty close. But um, any at any rate, um, I pull up on this thing and I'm I'm burning the bandit back to the boat and I'm not catching them and I can see fish boiling. So I dive into my box. I pu I pulled out the rooster tail and I fire that rooster tail out there and I don't get three pumps of the real turn off and pff, I got one. And I, we sat there and caught them on inlines. That's awesome. Yeah. During a Bassmaster. Why do, why do you think, even though, you know, rooster tail comes, you know, you can throw a half ounce rooster tail, you can get it out there. It's an easy to use bait. Why do you think inlines have such a, rookie status amongst the hardcore tournament anglers why uh, do you not utilize i could tell you why because every one of us grew up pond fishing with them and so it has that it has that stigma behind it oh that's not a real bass bait that's a palm bait but i'll tell you what i would take the hook off of it put a split ring on it put my own hook on it a single hook and then I could use a plastic trailer with it, or I can just leave the single hook bare. And so I, I was able to make it 100% weedless where I could fish it right in the weed beds. Or, you know, I could use the single hook where, you know, if you hook one on like I would use a spinnerbait trailer hook on it is what I would do. Well, that's smart. And then you hook up with it and they ain't going anywhere but in the boat, period. Um, those were the modifications that I would do to those things. So right in here, because it just has this, you you have the basic, you have to cut this hook off. Yeah, right? I would take a pair right. of dikes, cut the hook off, add a split ring, and then add your hook to the split ring. Right, and I, and I would use spinnerbait trailer hooks. 
um, because I like the O'Shaughnessy style hook and it's a bigger gap and you can really, you really, them fish get impaled. It's like a gaff. A little secret, little secret show today, Frank. Yeah. See, I, I made my own inlines for a while. Really? Yeah. Where I would tie, where I would tie, um, round rubber on them. Um, I tied the chicken feathers on them, squirrel tails, um, rabbit strips, all kinds of stuff. I used to really, I had them. I, I carried them with me all the time. And the funny thing is you get away from it, you know? Yeah. You got juice on that exotic fur now, Frank. I was I out know. with him the other day and he's like, well, that's a Scandinavian goose. And we're like, what? Is he, is he doing like, any? He's like, this, hey, this is an endangered polar bear hair jig. And is we're he, like, yeah, he's like, Frank loves this stuff. And I'm like, really? You don't say. Is he doing any Arctic fox? Oh, yeah. He's all into the yeah. Arctic fox. He's into the Canadian mongoose. He's into all sorts of the great. He's got. Tell, tell him he's got to start looking at Australian oh, yeah. possum. Australian possum. Okay. Yeah. It, it's, I tie a lot of steelhead flies with that Australian possum. And you got to be careful where you get it from because you want the longest. Hairiest possum for the possum. Yeah. yeah, yeah you want the longest. He's into the duckbill platypus stuff now. Very hard to get <laughs> on the black market. Spotted owl feathers. <laughs> Spotted owl down. Yep. Oh my gosh. Uh, Anything else you got before we wrap this one up? That was a, uh, I think that'll have people searching the, uh, the dark corners of lurenet.com for some offerings that are still out there that are often overlooked, Frank. Yeah. I, I, um, the inline spinner to me is probably something that should be in your arsenal, at least in your boat all the time. And, I, and I'll be flat out honest with you. When I fished Bassmasters, I had a box of them, a little box with yeah, about a dozen and a half of them in it at all times because it saved my neck a bunch of times. Um, the other thing that people don't think about is the beetle spin. Um, that's, another, that's another lure that could save your butt in a, in a pinch. Um, but now... But now Bomber's got the drum beater, so I just use the drum beater now. Yeah, we did a whole show on that. Yeah, yeah. Uh yeah, the the inlines, I think I think number one, the rooster tail is leading that. But the three that I always had are it that I have a box. I just need to put it in the boat because I do a lot of trout and a lot of fun fishing. Rooster tail, meps, and then if I was in heavy current, I would always throw the Panther Martin. The Panther Martin was deadly. Yeah. Dude, it was deadly, man. They that, had like that, a Panther Martin deep that would stay deep while you crank it. But for some reason, like you get a little Panther Martin. If you're a rainbow trout, you are oh. so screwed. Well, that that little Panther Martin, because it's got a wooly bugger as a trailer on it. It's a little wooly bugger trailer. Yep. That, that Panther Martin, I used to wreck the trout on them here. <laughs> and you know what else I used to do? I used to take a little tiny piece of like a one inch piece of night crawler. And put it on the back of that. Oh, that's just not even legal. It's it's unfair. It's, it's, uh, it's but like size unfair. wise for the rooster tail. If you guys are wanting to try it, obviously match the hatch, which we've done shows on match the hatch about. But right. day in and day out, a half ounce rooster tail cast far. You could throw it on decent tackle, but it still has a very small profile. 
Yeah, and see, I'm more partial to the quarter ounce rooster tail, okay. which which there shows our differences. Um, but if I'm throwing a maps, I'm gonna throw an Alga three probably. Okay. Which is which? It's still not quite the half, but I had the half ounce rooster tails in my boat too because if it's windy out, you gotta honk mm-hmm. them. And the, and the key to that, guys, you gotta throw it on a bait caster, and you better have a crane swivel. Um, there because it'll twist your line like yeah i throw it on a spinning rod but i throw it a high quality the ball bearing snap the two and one where you've got the ball bearing that then has the snap on the end so i mean there's a little bit of hardware hanging off but yeah that's the only way and i throw it on braid to reduce the line twist that's not a pound braid yeah so so the so the the ball bearing swivel is nice and now they have them where there's no split rings on them. They're, they're welded shut ball bearing swivels. Um, I think Sam Poo makes them. Um, those are money because you're tying, you're, you're tying your, if you're going to make a leader, you're tying the leader to something smooth and round and doesn't have the pinch part to it. Yeah. Or you can just do what we do on the Super Spook Juniors, put a split ring and a crane swivel in front of the the spinner bait itself the inline spinner itself we're gonna have to figure out what we're gonna do next week because i'll be at uh i'll be on the sunny southern california beaches on the 21st frank man you are a man of the world matt you're a man of the hey, world you, you gotta do what you gotta do <laughs> <laughs> well you keep doing what you gotta keep doing i'll keep doing what i have to keep doing and somewhere in the middle we got to go catch some giant crappies, bro. That's There's going to be like a two or three day window in January because then, you know, my open season starts. Yeah. The first of February down on the Big O, Lake Okeechobee. You got anything on your Christmas wish list? When was the last time that you could remember you really were hoping someone got you something specific for Christmas? I don't, I don't ever ask for anything or hope for anything for Christmas, but I could tell you what I didn't want. For Christmas, that stupid talking largemouth, that singing bass, Billy Remember? Bass, yeah, meet me at the river. I, I was toss me in the water. That one, I was a hundred percent positive I was going to get two thousand of those for Christmas. How many did you end up getting? None, because I everybody who ever talked to me, I said, don't even think. Oh, I got one. I said, don't even think about buying that for me. Well, if anybody wants to peruse eBay. Uh, and you can send them to me, and then I'll direct send them to Frank, and we no. could uh, Billy Bass bomb them for this Christmas. No, no, <laughs> no. I'm telling you right hey, you now. You got a new, you got a new cat for Christmas. We saw him, we saw her last week. Yeah, that's that's because that's a perfect case in point where your children will stop listening to you at some point. It's a gift that keeps on giving. A new kitten. Yeah, I, t- I said no kitten, no more cats. Bam is the last cat. And here I got another one that I got. to Game is with. not the last cat. Very cute kitten, though. I mean, if you're going to get one, you might as well have one with a little bit of personality that's kind of cute. Well, I agreed. Kind of like a girlfriend. <laughs> I wasn't going <laughs> to say that, Frank. <laughs> All right. This has been another edition of Day 4 with the man Frank Scalish. We'll talk to everyone later. See you. Adios. <laughs>